Hello, good day, great to see all of you. Welcome to my basement, and uh, thanks to my family for helping out with worship today. Uh, really excited to meet with you online in this way to worship our God. It seems like it's been a really long couple of weeks, and just a, just a really long time since uh, we were able to see one another, but I hope connecting in worship will really help. So let's sing to our great God.
for this opportunity to sing your praises. We thank you that you are a God in whom we can trust, knowing that no matter what's happening in our world, you are sovereign and you are in control and you have a plan. And so God, we, we come with a song that says, we trust you, that we're going to praise you no matter what's going on. And that's what's really in our hearts, God. We ask that you would be with us in this season that we're all in together. Uh, so many of us stuck at home, uh, worshiping together in a really different way. And, and God, we just want to meet you right where it is that you have chosen to put us. Uh, we want your will to be accomplished in this time. And so, Father, we, we just bring ourselves to you. We bring our families to you. And we ask that you would work mightily through all of this. We trust you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's really great to uh, have you guys with us online. Uh, Want to just do one quick announcement today. Uh, we have put a little bit of work in this week, this past week, to get our website ready for all of the things that you need uh, in the weeks that lie ahead. We don't know when we'll get to meet again all together face-to-face, -to -face, so our website now uh, has uh, on our homepage uh, all kinds of things for you, things to help you stay connected uh, to our Facebook page, uh, to our church email list if you're not on that, uh, things to help you grow, all kinds of Bible study opportunities, uh, things for kids, uh, family activities, uh, all of that, uh, ways that you can get involved and help, uh, things like uh, continuing to give to the church, uh, things like joining our community response team, and there also are just some information links as well uh, to help you stay connected uh, to what's going on at Crossview and what's going on uh, in our world with this whole coronavirus thing. So uh, do take some time at some point to check out our website and all the resources that are there for you. And I uh, hope you really enjoy this message. God bless you all today. Hello, Crossview Church. We miss you as a church staff. We miss gathering together and seeing you face to face. Um, but we do uh, support what's happening in terms of our restrictions uh, because, one, we want to continue to honor the governing authorities in these matters as well as we want to uh, act in a way that could care for and love others to prevent them from getting something that could be very serious. So uh, here we are in this time, but just know that you're loved and you're missed and this is temporary and we will get through this and we will gather once again together on Sunday mornings. In the meantime, we have this time together. So I'm going to pray and then let's dive right in. Father in heaven, I thank you that nothing takes you by surprise and that you are with us. And God, I just ask that you would now touch all who are hearing my voice at this time, regardless of where they are, that you'd open our hearts to hear your word and get to know you deeper during this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a barber named Peter. And Peter opened up his shop and he's getting ready to start a day's work. And one of his clients came in and sat in his chair and he knew who this client was, but he couldn't put his finger on it. It was the first time he ever came and sat in his barber's chair. And he knew this guy was important. He knew he's kind of well-known and he knew that he did something wrong because he just had that aura. But when he sat down, the guy in the chair next to 
Peter's barber chair, got up and walked out in the middle of his haircut. So there's something mysterious and Peter couldn't put his finger on it. The man was very nice. He was kind. He uh, told Peter what he wanted. Peter cut his hair. Then he asked Peter for a shave. And so Peter uh, set his chair back. He put a hot towel around the man's eyes and he lathered up his face and he took out his straight blade to shave this man. And as the, he put the blade to the man's neck, he realized who this was. This was a wanted man. This was a man who had a bounty on his head. And the amount of reward that Peter could receive from turning in this man would be worth more than a year's wages. He donned, he, it dawned on him who this was. And now Peter had him in the perfect spot. He had him in a vulnerable place with a blade to his neck. He could take action and receive an awful lot of money. But Peter didn't do that because Peter also realized that this man could help him with something that was worth more than any dollar amount out there. You see, Peter had a soul ache. He had an angst in his soul. There was this battle going on where he felt guilty before a holy God. And so instead of turning this man in, Peter bent down towards this man's ear and he whispered, Dr. Luther, will you teach me to pray? The man in the chair was Martin Luther. And he just led the church through the Reformation where he brought back the gospel of Jesus Christ. The story that says how we can be uh, forgiven of our sin and stand in peace before a holy God because of the cross of Jesus. Martin Luther recovered that precious truth that was in the scriptures and was bringing the church back into that. And because of that, the church authorities and those around in the state uh, wanted him uh, captured because he's doing something that was very uh, illegal in their eyes. And here he was in Peter's chair and Peter knew he could help him. So he said, will you teach me how to pray? And so Martin Luther did what all good theologians do. He wrote a book for the barber Peter and it's called a simple way to pray. And you can still get it today. It's a very, this whole thing is a true story of what really happened. Like Peter, the barber, he had this soul angst, the soul ache, and he wanted it uh, taken care of. And the disciples of Jesus felt the same way. They saw how Jesus prayed. They saw the connection between his prayer and his ministry in real life. And they longed to have that. And so the disciples went to Jesus and they said the same thing. They said, will you teach us to pray? Will you teach us to pray? During this time of pandemic, we are told to be praying and to be thinking. And I often think, do we know how to pray? Do we pray effectively? I think it's something that we should all grow in. It's something that we want to grow in as a church at Crossview here uh, at Crossview Church. And so I want to take today and pause the series we're doing on Mark and really focus on prayer and do that by looking at the Lord's Prayer. I want to look at the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 4. And so if if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke is uh, in the New Testament. It's Uh, If you go uh, about three quarters of the way through the Bible, you'll see Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And we'll be focusing on chapter 11. It's also on the Church Center app for Crossview Church, if you want to look at that. But I want to look through this phrase by phrase and just really uh, let God's Word and the Holy Spirit instruct us so that we can be people of prayer, especially during this time, but beyond that as well. So let's take a look. Uh, Luke chapter 11. Verse 1, 
He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples to pray. He saw this connect and he longed this disciple who is anonymous in the scriptures longed to have Jesus teach them uh, to pray. That was something rabbis did. They had kind of their certain prayers that they would give their disciples. And this disciple wants that, but not just because of the form of the prayer, not just to say that we have this great prayer, but he wanted that because he saw how real it was in Jesus's life. And he says, Lord, teach us to pray because they thought if we could pray like that, it would make a huge difference. Let's continue on. So Jesus begins to instruct him. He says, whenever you pray, say, Father, let's pause right there. What an amazing concept. The God of the universe comes and Jesus Christ says that we can call the God of the universe, almighty God, Father. It's an incredible thing to think about. Now, people in the Old Testament viewed God as a father, but as more of the father creator. It was kind of like equivalent in our day if you'd say, well, he's my biological dad, but I don't have much of a relationship with him. That's kind of how the Old Testament viewed God. They, if you look at the 39 books of the Old Testament, only 14 times is the word father used. And all 14 of those times, it's used in the father of the nation of Israel. God is the father of the people. It wasn't a personal thing. It's more a broad general thing. And now Jesus comes in the first four books of the New Testament. Jesus uses this word father more than 60 times. So you see this huge shift and Jesus is now in this prayer, inviting his disciples, inviting us to refer to God as our father. And it gets even better than that because it's not just father, but the word that's used there is this, it's Abba father. It's this, it means dearest father. And so Jesus is saying the foundation of all our prayers should spring forth from this place where God is our dearest father. That's the first position we should take in prayer, that he is our father. Perhaps you're thinking, I didn't have a good relationship with my father. And the image of a father is something that's not something I want to relive. If that's where you are, I would encourage you to think through, what was the father you wanted to have? What is the dream father? When you had those bad experiences with your dad and you said, It shouldn't be like this. What should it be like? Because God is a perfect father. He is what you dream of and what you hope for in a father. And then you can multiply that by a thousand times. That's who he is. He's a good, good father. And so I'd encourage you to think through that because Jesus is saying that this should be the foundation. Jesus is also saying the awareness of God's fatherness should grow in our souls each time we pray. When we pray, we come into this place where our souls experience the fatherhood of God. And you think of the words that mark fatherhood that we so need in this time that we find ourselves. Things like connection, things like protection, things like intimacy, things like guidance, things like nurturing. Those are the things that come into our heart when we gather before God and, and ask him for his help. I remember when I was like six or seven years old, uh, I don't actually remember the exact age, but my dad was a principal at an elementary school. 
And it was kind of like, uh, for whatever reason, I had to go with my dad to work. And so I was following around work, following him around work. I probably drove him absolutely crazy. Um, but he was a principal in elementary school trying to get his work done. And here I am uh, tagging along. And I remember one time we had to walk through a gym where there was a gym class going on. And the students that were in the gym class were older than me. I'm guessing I was probably like first or second grade, and they were in sixth grade. And when we walked in the gym, they stopped playing their game. They all turned and looked at us. And I remember one of the boys said, Mr. DeRoshi, talking to my dad, is that your son? And my dad put his hand on my shoulder and said, yes, this is my son. And I remember the boys and the girls in the class went, whoa, or they gasped. They did something like that. And I didn't know exactly what they were getting at. But I knew that I felt important because I was the son of Mr. DeRoshi. I was the son of the principal. And there was some certain awe that came with that in that classroom. And when my dad put his hand on my shoulder and said, yes, this is my son. And that reaction came. I understood this fatherhoodness that God wants us to grab in a small form. So I encourage you to understand that like, when you go and you pray and you go before God, let his fatherhoodness wash over your heart that you are a child of the king of the universe. You are a child of the one who created all the world and holds it all together. He calls you daughter. He calls you son. And that should be a foundational place when we go, when we go into prayer. So the next one, as we walk through this, uh, is that uh, Jesus says, uh, when we pray, the pattern of prayer he's putting through, it says in verse uh, one, pray, Father, your name be honored as holy. Prayer begins with our orientation towards God. We must know who we're talking about to. If we don't know anything about God, we won't have much to say about him. So we must orient our hearts and learn who he is. And what Jesus is saying is the top characteristic that kind of covers all of God's attributes is his holiness. That God is holy, meaning he's set apart, that he's so other than us. And I think his holiness, the set apartness, is the character that covers and holds all the other attributes of God together. God is loving, but he's holy in his love. He is merciful, but he's holy in his mercy. He is just, but he's holy in his justice, meaning that his love is set apart and different than any other kind of love. His mercy is set apart and different than any kind of mercy. His justice is set apart and different than any kind of justice because he's God. And Jesus is saying, though he is father, we enter into the fatherhood in our prayers. He's also God of the universe. And we don't pit one against the other. We hold both in tension when we go before God in prayer. We say, you are our loving father who holds the whole world together and you are in a class by yourself. You are set apart. You are different. That's why we come to you. And Jesus wants us to grab that as we pray to him. The next one, your kingdom come. He prays in uh, verse two, the last part of verse two, your kingdom come. God's people are supposed to be on God's agenda. This request aligns our hearts with God. So our priorities become his priorities. This means two things. First, it's a redirection of my will. I don't know about you, but my will wants to go in all sorts of different directions. It wants to run away from what God wants. 
But when we come before God and we pray your kingdom come, it's an aligning of our will saying, God, we want to obey what you have. There's this thing that comes and it reminds us that repentance, which is a reorienting, a turning, repentance, a turning from our will to God's will, our ways to God's ways, is supposed to be a lifestyle for a disciple. We are supposed to repent. We are supposed to turn. And that's supposed to become a lifestyle in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. Second, this tells us that the kingdom should be pursued above all things. God's kingdom and his rule and his ways and how he views this world and this universe should be what is pursued. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We need to keep God's kingdom in line, and then he will give us all the things that we need. We pursue his kingdom above all else, and then he will give us all those things. I think sometimes we think if I pursue God's kingdom, I won't get anything I want. But I think if we fully pursue God's kingdom and that becomes our first obsession, it'll change the things we want. It'll affect that. And then the things that we really need, he promises that he will give us and he'll help us as we go through that. So I think it's important that we adapt his kingdom as a lifestyle, that we place that as a priority, seeking his kingdom. Wouldn't it be great if we are known as people who always sought what God wanted, always brought what God uh, declared and what God said was good. Let's look at the next one. Give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. I love how the actual Greek wording here, the original says this, our bread for today, our, our bread for tomorrow, give us today. Our bread for tomorrow, give us today. There's an interesting dynamic that's happening here that Bible scholars point out that the way this is worded, our bread for tomorrow, give us today, uh, means that Jesus is telling us to pray for both our physical needs for today, which is pretty clear, but also our spiritual needs for the ultimate tomorrow when we face God in heaven when we die. We're praying for the now and we're praying for the eternal. We're praying for both things when we ask, uh, give us the bread for tomorrow that we need for today. When we pray those things, it becomes real. So I want to talk about both those. First, let's look at the material needs. I love the fact that we have a God that we can come and ask for anything we need in this life. Some people think God is detached from real life, that he doesn't know what's really going on here, that he's not involved in our daily life, but that's not true. God cares about the most minute detail of what you're going through. God cares about the simple things. He cares about things like, I can't get enough sleep tonight. Will you help me with my sleep? He cares about things like, I need a pair of shoes. He cares about things like, I look at all the bills I have this month and the money I have coming in, it doesn't seem to match. We can run to God and ask for help in those things. Things, the things that face us in daily life on earth. And I love how he says that this should be a daily thing. Give us each day our daily bread. It says that our dependence upon God is something that we depend on daily. We daily need his help in our lives. And so we can run to him with those things and, and ask him for all that we need. But this request also points to a future state. Jesus invites us to pray for what we will experience in eternity to remember and remind our hearts that though we're asking for help today in the here and now, the here and now is not everything. 
There's a whole lot bigger picture for believers and Christians. Give us this day our bread for tomorrow. Praise also that we, our hearts would remember and understand a time is coming when his name will be hallowed forever. When his will and his kingdom will always be done. When this prayer will be fulfilled. When Jesus comes the second time and sets up his rule and his reign with his church. And in that place, there'll be no more sickness, no more sin, no more disease, and no more suffering. We're praying that to come about. We're seeing there's two spots to this idea when we ask God for our daily bread. Bible scholar Kent Hughes said this, here our Jesus is saying that through prayer, we can reach out our hands and grab hold of the glorious bread of eternity. I love that. That's worth saying, looking at again. Here our Jesus is saying through prayer, we can reach out our hands and grab hold of the glorious bread of eternity. It's the here and now, but it's also the reminder that this isn't all there is to the life of a Christian, that we have a whole eternity that's waiting for us and we can grab on to that blessed hope. I love when Jesus approaches life, he approaches life in both looking at the earth, the here and the now that we experience, and also the heavenly eternal that is to come. And I think as we live in this time of coronavirus pandemic, it's important for us to keep both those intention because we see people on both sides of that. We see people who are really obsessed with the earthly who say, ah, this is just um, blown way out of proportion. We don't need to do any of this. Let's just keep going. And we see people who are panicking in fear, thinking this is the end. And so how do we respond as believers? What is the right, true response to uh, this situation that would be honoring to what God would have us to do as we consider being stewards of what we have in earth, knowing that we are citizens in heaven. And I think we don't have to go in the future to think of this innovative new response. I think we look historically because there was a really good response to this whole situation by the man I opened uh, with the sermon with Martin Luther. Martin Luther lived through a plague in 1527 and he sought God on how he should react to this. He wanted to react in a godly way. He wanted to react in a way that honors God. And he wanted to, he was a pastor and a seminary professor in the city of Wittenberg in Germany. And he wanted to lead his people correctly. And so he wrestled with this. He faced what was called the bubonic plague or the, the black plague. Uh, that first came on the shores of Europe in 1347 and then had a few different, uh, reoccurrences after that. And Martin Luther lived through one of the reoccurrences in 1527. And as he experienced this plague go through the city of Wittenberg and he saw people dying, people that he ministered to in his church. And he saw the effects of this plague. He was puzzled with how he should react. And after studying, this is what he said. This is what he landed on. He said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. See, this is the part of social distancing that he wanted to be careful of. He wanted to be distant from people so that he wouldn't be a cause of somebody's death when this was going about. But it didn't, he didn't stop there. He said, if my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid 
place or person, but will go freely as stated above. If he felt prompted by the spirit to reach out, he was going to do that. And I love how he summarizes this whole thing. He says, see, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and it does not tempt God. It's wisdom. It lands in that place of the tension between how do we respond wisely, but how do we respond in a way that honors God? And I think Martin Luther nailed it. And that's how we should take this situation as it's presented to us as well. All right, let's move on. In our prayer, Jesus says uh, here in verse four, and forgive us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone. Forgiveness is the cancellation of a debt. It's a cancellation of the debt. And he says, and forgive us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. God forgives us. And when he does, he's forgiving us our debt of sin against him. When we forgive others, we're forgiving them of the debt of pain they've caused on our life. We see in here that this should be a continual thing. We should have a continual spirit of forgiveness as believers. As we walk through life, there should be a continual uh, condition that we are quick to forgive. That should mark us as followers of Jesus. But also this suggests that forgiveness should be fulfilled as a condition before we ask God for our forgiveness. Jesus puts both these things together to prove a point. And I think this is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the heart that goes to God and asks forgiveness is a heart that has forgiven others and continues to forgive. There's this attitude of continual forgiveness that comes across with believers. And this is kind of tricky. A church father named Augustine called this the terrible petition Because what he is saying here is this, to say, forgive us our sin as we have forgived our debtors, and yet we have an unforgiving heart. If we pray that, we're basically saying, God, don't forgive us our sin. So there's something built in here that says true believers are people of forgiveness. True followers of Jesus are people who forgive. Now, that doesn't mean that it's easy. That doesn't mean that true followers of Jesus Christ don't wrestle with forgiveness. We do. We wrestle through it. It doesn't come natural to us. But that wrestling even in and of itself is a good thing because it tells us that God is working in our heart. The Holy Spirit is changing us because if there wasn't a wrestling, we would just blow it off and forget the whole thing and just live in bitterness. Forgiving someone unshackles your soul and brings freedom. When we experience forgiveness from God, our souls are unshackled. So let me ask you a question that many Christians in the past would ask each other. How is it with your soul? These days, how is it with your soul? And many times the condition of our soul is linked to this issue of forgiveness. Few things impact our soul like forgiveness does. And when we hold back forgiveness from somebody, We are chaining ourselves up and hindering our own souls. But it's not just an individual issue. This is an issue for the church as well. Because if you show me a church that doesn't forgive quickly, I'll show you a church that has very little life and impact. If you show me a church that is quick to forgive and quick to resolve these conflicts and quick to forgive others, 
I'll show you a church that's a light to the world around it because the world is dying to see faith in action. And when they see a follower of Jesus forgive a debt of something that's very painful, that speaks volumes. We do this not simply for our souls, but we forgive others for the soul of the church as well. And so Jesus said this was of the utmost importance. Finally, the last one, it says, and do not bring us into temptation in bottom of verse four, and do not bring us into temptation. Some people believe that God is responsible for all temptation, that God brings about temptation. And so we're asking him here not to do that. But that's not the case at all. James chapter 113 says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. On the opposite side, there's, like I said, there's some who say that God's responsible for all temptation. Then there's some who say, if you have enough faith, you won't experience any temptation at all. The fact that you have temptation in your life means you're not walking closely to God. And that's not true at all. That's not true at all. Continual temptation is the experience that the apostles went through. Continual temptation is the experience that Christians throughout history went through. And we are no different. Our life will be full of temptation. There will always be temptations that come and um, come into our lives that we will face. Jesus is saying here, this word temptation means uh, to engage in a sin or trial or test that will lead us to sin that will lead us to sin. The experience of resisting temptation is actually good for us spiritually. Jesus even modeled this. Jesus experienced high uh, volumes, high um, amounts of temptation, and he never sinned once. He withstood all of them. He triumphed over all temptation. There wasn't one that took him out. And when we resist temptation, it shapes our spiritual life. When we resist temptation, it shapes our character. It's like exercising the spiritual muscle inside of us. God is calling us not to yield to every temptation, but to resist. And when we resist temptation through prayer, through reading God's word, through shifting our mind to worship, and we come through that time of tempting, we are strengthened in our spirit. So if that's the case, then why is Jesus saying in this prayer that we should pray, God, do not bring us into temptation. If it's good for us, why would he pray this prayer that that we should avoid it? What Jesus is saying is he's asking us to pray that we are delivered from the temptations that he knows will overpower us. See, he's praying that we would be delivered from the temptations that we're not strong enough to face. He's saying, God, lead us not into temptations that's beyond my capacity to withstand. See, Jesus knew that there's temptations that we can fight now where we are in our current level of spiritual maturity and win, but there's other temptations that would completely just take us out in this moment. And in this prayer, what he's praying is he's saying, he's laying a model that we should pray, God, keep me by your grace from the temptations that would take me out right now because I don't want to disgrace your name. Keep me from those things that I'm not spiritually mature enough to handle. Help me as I walk through this life to stand against temptations, but the ones that you know would take me out, please cover me in those things. That's what he's praying here. As we grow as Christians, there's certain temptations that 
we will be able to withstand as we walk with God and we will grow in greater levels of capacity to withstand the temptations we face. But in the meantime, God will cover us as we ask for that covering. So this is the pattern of prayer that God chose. This is called the Lord's Prayer, not the Lord's Prayer because Jesus prayed that he would never have to pray, forgive us our sin, but it's the Lord's Prayer because this is the model, this is the pattern he gave us. And I hope as believers and followers of Christ at Crossview Church, we can grow in this pattern and become people of prayer, both in this time that we face and also beyond. I'm going to ask you to do two things with me uh, before we wrap up. First of all, one thing that we're introducing this week that I'm very excited about is during this time of uh, social distancing with this pandemic, we as a church are going to go through a devotional together on the app called YouVersion. Many of you have downloaded this app. You have it. You use it. We've talked about this a lot at Crossview. It'll be available on our resources page so you can see how to get it. But I wanted to uh, each week pick a five to seven day devotional plan that we will do as a church together. That though we are apart physically, we will be joined spiritually as we're doing the same devotion together as a church body. It'll be another way to link us together during this time where we're apart uh, socially and and apart from each other's uh, face-to-face presence. And so this first one we're going to introduce this week, it takes us from worrying to a confidence um, because of what God wrote in what we just looked at the Lord's prayer. It's called worry to confident hope by N.T. Wright. And as you look at over this app, download the YouVersion app on your phone, select this plan. And this plan will take you through the Lord's prayer and it'll help you reflect on what's there. And I really believe this will help you grow um, from worry and fear during this time to a confident hope in who Jesus is. And so I encourage you to do that. The other thing I want to do right now, I think it'd be great for us to end this time by praying this prayer, by praying through the Lord's prayer together. And so what I like to do is I'm just going to pray the common kind of cadence of the Lord's prayer we have, say a few things, then leave a block of silence for you to pray to God in your own way about that topic. And so I'll guide you and direct you in this, but I think it's no better way for us to end this than to do it um, by praying. So let's do that. Please bow your head with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, God, thank you that we can call you Father, that you are a perfect Father beyond our wildest dreams. Allow our hearts in this crazy time to experience the love of you, our great heavenly Dad. Take time now in your own heart to pray that back to him. Hallowed be your name. God, you alone are God. You have no rival. You have no equal. You are in a class by yourself. Now take time to express your praise to God, telling him that his name and his being, his person is holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we align our hearts to yours and we ask that you would create within us a heart for obedience. And we long for the day when perfect obedience happens in this world. Pray your kingdom come and your will be done back to the Lord in your own way in the quietness of your heart.
Give us this day our daily bread. God, give us what we need right now in the midst of the time that we find ourselves. Voice to God the needs you have right now, the things that are occupying your mind that are just weighing on your heart. Tell God what those are right now. And God, in the midst of this time, we grab onto your blessed hope as we look for your second coming that will set all things right. And God, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. God, we choose to forgive those who wronged us, even if we don't feel like it. We do it as an act of our will. And we ask that you would forgive us of all of our sins, that we confess those before you now and we ask for your forgiveness. If there's things on your heart you'd like to confess to God and ask forgiveness for, do that now. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, you know we are still weak in areas. Please cover us in those places. Grow us in lighter temptations to make us strong. And in the meantime, cover us, we pray, because we don't want to stray from you. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for now and forever. Amen. I love praying with you, Crossview Church, and I will do so, and I'll continue to do so. Take this blessing upon your week as you face life during this time that we live in. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship and peace of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you.
trust you. Jesus, we trust you. Your ways are higher than our own. Oh, we trust you. We trust you. Your ways are higher than our own. And all things we trust you. Yes, we trust you. trust you with the week that lies ahead and all you have for us. Be with every one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.